Um, this, this is a, really an honor and a privilege. When I was a, a young man, <clears throat> I remember just a deep love. <clears throat> I apologize. <clears throat> a deep love grew in my heart for this small little letter called First Peter. So who was Peter? Peter <clears throat> was one of the 12 disciples And not just one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, he was in the inner three, Peter, James, and John. He was a married man, bless his heart, and he was a fisherman. He's the one who sort of coined the, when when Jesus asked his disciples, thank you Lance, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? He was the one under the inspiration of the Spirit that said, you're the Christ. He was, in a few verses later, called Satan, but that's beside the point. Because he tried to tell Jesus he didn't have to go to the cross. Uh, Infamously, in John 21, we see the threefold denial of Jesus and the threefold restoration of Jesus. I'm sorry, of Peter. When Peter is asked by Jesus, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And then we see Brother Peter at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. The Peter who denied Jesus... When filled with the Holy Spirit, became the bold proclaimer of the gospel. How many believe that the infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit is the difference maker? And he stood and he preached the gospel, the wonders of God. And he preached that Jesus was the crucified king, that the Father rose from the dead. Then Peter was used significantly in Acts chapter 10. Just go read this story where he has an open heaven vision, and he goes and he breaks all of the cultural and religious norms, and he enters the house of a Gentile and non-Jewish person, Cornelius, and his whole household is saved, baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. So our letter, 1 Peter, is written from a guy who has skin in the game. How many know that we live in a day where everyone has a mic, a camera, a phone, and and it's hard to tell who are the experts and actual practitioners versus who are those who just have a big mouth that want their voice to be heard? And the reason I'm giving you the background for Apostle Peter is this guy is not just looking for popularity. Like Paul says, if we were trying to be popular, we wouldn't be servants of Jesus because 1 Corinthians 4, apostles are at the end of the line. Literally, it says right there in, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, the apostolic ministry, those who are the, the witnesses and heralds of the gospel planting churches, they're like the scum of the earth. That's how they were viewed. So Peter, he's not a know-it-all. He's a practitioner. He's a father. He's got skin in the game, suffering. And in 62, between 62 and 64 A.D., in what we call modern-day Turkey, the recipients of this letter lived. It was like a network of churches, and when we get to the first two verses of the book, you're going to see it sort of the arc of the recipients of the letter. It made sense by travel route. And obviously, we we know by church history that Peter was martyred and, uh, you know, upside down. He, he the, the The story goes that he didn't He's like, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus died, crucified upside down. And so I wanted to frame this letter that Peter writes, this this father, this pastor, this overseer of a network of churches, this pillar in the Jerusalem church and the early Jesus movement. I love 1 Peter 5.1 where he says, to the elders among you, 
I appeal as a fellow elder. Next slide, Justin, if you can. A fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and also will share in the glory to be revealed. And so Peter is the best kind of leader. He identifies himself with the people he's ministering to. I'm a fellow elder. I'm with you in the fight. And sort of the whole point of the book of 1 Peter is that as Peter is, is a father, he's involved in the life of the churches that many believe he helped plant. Certainly he helped oversee 1 Peter 2.21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And so what we'll find as we walk over these next nine or so weeks through this letter, we're going to find that the church that Peter, churches that Peter are writing to are facing incredible hostility. They're facing incredible pressure. They're being marginalized, ostracized because of their confession that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And so they're sort of at the bottom rung of their social economic reality. They don't have the the, the rights and the privileges and the safety net that a Roman citizen would have. In every way, they did not have a, a, a leg up on their contemporaries. And so throughout the letter, all of what Peter will say and encourage and admonish these churches, these believers in the Roman Empire, all of it goes through this one verse. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, that advice is, was good 2,000 years ago and really good for 2021 as well. You should follow in his footsteps. And so like any letter, we see the introduction. He sort of frames what he's going to say. And then I love, just like, just like John's gospel, if you read John's gospel, John chapter 20, verse 32, John's like, here's the reason I wrote the gospel. So that you could read the gospel and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I love when authors, of whether it's a, a narrative like a gospel or a letter like First Peter, I love when they just come right out and say, this is why I wrote. How many are thankful for the simplicity? Not to live it, but at least to perceive and then to, by the Holy Spirit, obey. So here's, here's, here's what Peter says right at the end of the letter. You're like, Chatty, I thought this was part one. It is, but it's going to frame all that we'll say for the next several weeks. 1 Peter 5.12, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly. Read this part with me. Encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. One more time. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast fast in it. And so here's what I want to say before we dive into verse one. Peter, I'm a fellow elder. I'm suffering with you. He's a father who's in the fight with his spiritual children. Okay, number one. Number two, the example we're following is not the culture. It's not the, the richest tradesman in your city. It's not the one who has means, the one who's the most eloquent or educated. We are suffering. We are following Jesus who suffered and he forged a path for us to follow after him. And here's where, here's where these, three, these three introductory passages are tied. This is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. Friends, in an hour 
where the orthodox historic claims of Christ, of God, of sexuality, of marriage, of the sanctity of life, as these become increasingly ostracized, uh, marginalized, slandered, pushed out as old-fashioned, as, oh, that's so yesterday. That's not, that's not in or hip with woke contemporary inness. We will not find the grace of God if we leave the claims of God. And so I want you to see this. This church, these churches, 2,000 years ago, the church of today, we think by watering down the scriptures or, or taking the edge off the, the, the exclusive claims of Christ or thinking we're smarter to run God's world than the God who created the world with his word. When we leave, we don't enter into more grace or hope or help. We leave the flow of grace. And so Peter is telling a church that is being pressed, that feels pressure internally and externally, the only way you're going to stand in the grace that helps you get through the trial and conquer the trial is if you stay true to the example of Jesus, period. You won't find it by being cool or clever or relevant. You won't find it by trying to make it easier but by staying true to the example in the word of Jesus, there is grace to stand fast in. And what's so amazing is we are being pressed, like from every angle. But how many believe that in the pressing, that which we claim and confess will be tested, but as we'll get to in our passage today, it has a chance to be refined and to shine with an eminence, a radiance, and a beauty that ultimately becomes compelling to surrounding culture. This is our hour. So there's grace, but it's only found in the footsteps of Jesus. Peter's writing as a father, as a pastor, as an overseer, and a shepherd. That's the context. So, Father, I pray over these next few minutes and over these next 12 verses that you would just set our hearts on fire with the gospel, the reality of your word, that you would come in power, that you would minister to us, and that, God, your word would be written on the parchment of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. Here we go. Let's get to work. And P.S. Please be reading First Peter. Hello. My goal is never to stand up here and tell you something you've never heard. <laughs> Amen. It's not, not impressive. I want us to just be immersed into this letter together this summer. Peter, an apostle, an eyewitness, a sent one of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So we obviously see in this letter's introduction that those the apostle Peter is writing to, they are exiles. They are not, they're not perceived as citizens of the land of the cities that they occupy. And as such, they didn't have a safety net of the rights, the privileges, and the security of said citizen. 
They were transient. They were on a journey. They were ostracized. They were marginalized. They were working class at best, barely trying to make it at worse. And he says, like a good father, you know, as you're trying to train and encourage your kids, as a father, you've got to locate where your kids are first. Amen. So he says, I see that you're scattered. I know you're exiles. I know you're feeling pressure within and without, but I see you. And by the way, I'm not the only one that sees you. You have a God and Father who has chosen you. You may not be on the who, who, the who's who's list of your contemporaries in your culture or in the cultural life of the city that you live in as an exile, but you are chosen by the God of heaven. No one else may have wanted you. You are viewed sort of with a, a, a scowl, the glasses on the bridge of the nose, from your contemporaries and your surrounding culture. But there is a God who has love in his heart called the Father who has chosen and elected you. Oh, and by the way, it was according to his foreknowledge. So you may think God was somehow uh, taking a break or checking out by your experience or situation. But no, he knew the times and the seasons and the hours that you would live. And he knows how to find you in the messiness of your current reality. God the Father. It says this, God, they had no rights, no privileges, safety or security. Uh, Gerald Sitzer, the brilliant theologian, early church uh, guru, uh, theologian, said this, Jesus claimed absolute lordship, but he refused an earthly throne, weapon or army and image. He demanded complete allegiance from his followers, but he sacrificed his life for them. He invited all to become citizens of his kingdom, but he had no territory over which he ruled. He announced the creation of a new humanity and the formation of a new community, regardless of background, ethnicity, and social status. The primary identity of Christians, adopted children of God through Jesus, transformed all secondary identities, subjecting them to the rule of Christ. This radical message confronted an ancient world deeply divided by gender, ethnicity, education, and socioeconomic inequality. In other words, the identity of these believers, sort of the Romans and the, the pagan culture around them had no category to place them in because it was so countercultural. It was from a different kingdom. Say this, Jesus is a different king of a different kind of kingdom. And their primary identification was that of family, and God as Father. A place to call home if you're in exile is one of your primary concerns. A people to call family is tied to that primary concern. And Peter is writing right here in the intro that in the Father you have both. A place to call home and a people to call family. Amen? A place to call home and a people to call family. How could this be? How can the father choose and elect? And how could he have known my situation and still made a way? Verse 2, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. How many are thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Amen? John chapter 16, verse 8. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't just leave us there, you're sinners. The Holy Spirit then convinces us that there is a sufficient Savior who paid it all for that sin. So he convicts, and then he convinces there's no other way. It's through Jesus alone. And then we experience conversion. It's what Peter will say is new birth. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the means through which we experience ongoing communion and relationship with God. So how in exile, how when I'm being pressed and suffering, I'm scattered, I'm lonely, there's no one around me that looks like me, I'm, I'm, I'm being pressed, I'm on the bottom, bottom rung of my social economic culture. Well, there's a God who's chosen you and he's done it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who convicts, convinces that you were converted by and we have a communion with God. How, why? Why would God choose? Why would the Father choose why would the Spirit sanctify or set apart and do all of these works in the life of the believer? Verse 2, last part, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Come on, say it with me. He chooses us, one more time, he chooses us to be obedient. One more time, he chooses us to be obedient. How many have ever tried to obey by your sheer grit and determination, and how did that go for you? So the order is significant. God the Father chose you. God the Holy Spirit sanctified you. He did the internal work of the gospel inside of you. And now you have the resources available to walk obediently with Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody, say amen. We, so, so obedience is not possible without the energizing, empowering, enabling presence of the Holy Spirit. Look at the order. And then look how he ends. This is just the salutation. And sprinkling with his blood. I want you to know the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice for our sins, the lamb who was, that's our logo right there on the top right, the lamb who was slain and through his death accomplished victory. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cleanse you once when you accept Jesus. As you stay in the light, his sacrifice is the perpetual, sufficient cleansing for your sins. Amen. If we claim to be without sin, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. How many are thankful for the sprinkling of his blood that doesn't just wash us once, but it keeps us clean as we stay in step with the Holy Spirit? So, this is verse 1 and 2. Already we're confronted with two realities. Everybody say two realities. Will I primarily, and this is relevant for our culture in 2021, will I primarily identify myself with my place in what culture says, I'm in exile, we're Christian weirdos, we follow a dead guy who billions of people claim rose, which is true. Historically, he died and he lived, he rose. Will I identify with what culture says? You're weird, you're, what you believe is, is archaic, you're a bigot because you believe the Bible, whatever it be. Or will I believe what is true of me, what my father says? And I'm not just being a cutesy preacher, pastor. You and I are going to be pressed to have to choose which reality we will live out in the days that we're in and entering. 
Will I believe the voices of culture and then bend and bow to its idols and altars? Or will I say, no, I've been chosen by a Father. I've been sanctified by the Spirit. And the blood of Jesus washes and cleanses me. If you choose option two, which is the better choice. Here's how Peter, and it's going to cost you. We're going to get there. It's all about, it's so good. I'm like, yes, we choose number two, but then wait till verse four. But if you choose the path, the reality that is, how many believe in the Colossians 2.17? There is a reality that is found in Jesus, and it's ultimate reality. If you choose that path, what is it, how does the salutation end? We throw these verses away and we just get to the meat of letters, but we, we miss it. What does it say at the end of verse 2? Grace and peace be yours in a little tiny trickle. Come on, somebody. In abundance. The enabling favor of God that you could never earn unto a life that flourishes no matter external circumstances because you're hooked up to the source of life himself. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. You know what that means? There's enough for you and those around you. That's good stuff. How many are happy? As a church, we want to choose number two. Under constant pressure, one commentary say, suspicion, slander, discrimination, manipulation, and the regular lot of social outsiders, the homelessness, the weirdness, the oddness of these people, they found a new home called the church and a new family called the family of God. And this next part, I want to read it in its entirety, and I just want to make a few comments. In the Greek, the original language that this letter is written, the next nine verses are one long run-on sentence. Which is to say, Peter is just on fire with the Holy Spirit. You're exiles, you're scattered, but God knew it. He chose you. You're elected. You're sanctified by the Spirit. You've been... For obedience to Jesus and his blood covers your sin, not just your past, but your present and your future. And there's abundance of grace and peace. And then it's like Peter's like, before we get any further, I got to have a praise party. Come on, somebody. Sometimes the greatest way to build your faith is not by looking at how dark it is out there, but looking how shiny and glorious he is up there. Come on, somebody. And he goes on and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Come on, somebody. Though you have not seen him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, by those who have preached the gospel to you. Even angels long to look into these things. Nine verses. Peter is so overwhelmed with what God the Father has done through God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit. He goes on a nine-verse rant to say, I know it's tough. You're exiles. You're marginalized. Culture's pressing. Your old habits are trying to rise back up. But praise Him. Victories in praise. Victories in praise. Victories in praise. That's why I say, man, if I've got one note to play, it's the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus. Because every time I look at him, there's renewal that takes place on the inside. And so Peter said, like, the Father knows you're exiled. It's tough, but get your eyes up. Come on, somebody. So in the hours that we're in and the days that we're walking, it's not, listen, it doesn't take a prophet to be able to name all that's wrong with culture, but it's going to take a prophetic people who know how to strengthen themselves in the Lord by gazing at Jesus and his sufficiency and his supremacy. Nine verses, it's just a, it's like I just did it live. That's what it was like to the original readers. Like, where's the period? Where's the period? It's just comma, 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 comma. You and I, by the grace of God, experience what angels peer over heaven looking down at going, gosh, that's not fair. It's not fair. Even, that's why it ends with even angels long to look into these things. What you and I experience in the grace of God, through the mercy of the Father, oh, that's why he's like, praise be. Come on, someone say, praise be to God. In his great mercy, how many are thankful he did not treat us as our sins deserve? The son, like we looked at last week, was the ram that God provided. He took the brunt, the fall, the punishment and judgment for our sins so that we could be recipients of forgiveness and mercy. He hasn't treated us as our sins deserve. And ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been in exile. But in and through the provision of Jesus Christ, all of humanity can now come home to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. We can become new humans, new citizens. That's what our whole series is about, citizens of the kingdom of God and not of the kingdoms of this world. Citizens whose identity is sons or daughters of God. How many are thankful and would say, I'll praise the Father for his great mercy? Verse 3. And he goes on to say, and he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to know that no one can enter the kingdom of God currently or experience the reign and rule of the kingdom for eternity unless you've been born again. No one is just born into Christianity. Amen. You have to, you have to go through Christ. You have, there's a, there's a, there's, there's, for every person on the planet, Jew and Gentile, slave, free, male, female, you've got to be born again. You have to come to the place by the Holy Spirit where you realize I can't fix 
or solve my dilemma. And I certainly can't save myself. Only one can, and his name is Jesus. And the, the, the greatness is that when I meet the Father and I encounter his mercy, what else is there to do but to surrender to the kindness and grace and healing of Jesus Christ? What else is there to do? To stand there with your fig leaves and try to cover or just to say, Lord, I am a sinful man. Cleanse me and adopt me into your family. This is the confession that moves God's heart. And it's the confession that leads us to new birth. New life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, he made justification possible for all people. Romans chapter 4, 23 and 4. And when he rose... He made new life a present possibility for every single person on the planet. I love the resurrection. It's like God's front door swung open. All can come now through the saving work of my son, Jesus Christ. And to an exiled people that had no ability to earn, uh, to, to own land, they were literally exiles, marginalized. Peter says, but guess what? Even though you may not be able to feel like you can get ahead in your culture, you've got an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. That's not to say that you only enjoy it someday, although part of that's true. How many would say they're experiencing some of that inheritance in real time every day? The inheritance of being saved, being put back to, together by the grace of God, being healed, overcoming. Listen, these are... These are that's why the Holy Spirit, I've said multiple times for weeks, the Holy Spirit is called the down payment of what is coming in fullness. So as you and I walk in the Spirit, we're drawing on that inheritance that's going to be complete someday, but today we can experience glimmers of what is coming in fullness in the future. Amen. In other words, we don't just go through suffering and trials with our teeth, I hope I make it. No, we're drawing from that inheritance. Through faith are shielded by God's power. But Chatty, didn't Peter just say that they're going to suffer trials in all kinds? What do you mean shielded? How many believe, John chapter eleven twenty five, that those who die, even suffer martyrdom in this life, it's as if you never die because you've got resurrection life on the inside of you. Death has been swallowed up. Where is its victory? Where is its sting? So God shields us by our power. That does not mean we don't experience suffering, setbacks, adversity, the furthest thing from it. It just means in and through it, we can entrust the deepest part of who we are, including our eternal destiny, into his loving, powerful hands. Sitzer goes on to say, the resurrection changed the way they, the Christians, viewed their entire story. Slide number 11. They understood his identity, his teaching and ministry in a whole new light, as if emerging from an endless night. Look at this, because of the living hope of the resurrection. They saw his death no longer as a defeat. Come on, read it with me. But as a victory. Not as the end of the story, but as the key turning point in the story. They became witnesses to Jesus' sacrificial death and glorious resurrection. We have a living hope named Jesus Christ. In this you greatly rejoice. We already re I already quoted that. You have suffering of all kinds of trials, but these have come. Say that with me. These have come. One more time. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, 
would be refined by fire and may result in praise, glory, and honor. How many would say you are in Christ who you are today because of the trials, not that you were spared from, but by the grace of God, you walked through and you're better because of it. Now, none of us, we're not, amen. None of us are like, yeah, we love suffering, right? We, we love difficulty. We love having to go through pain. We love climbing mountains. No. But how many of you know these are the primary ways God uses to sanctify and to refine and purify our faith? They just are. There's no way around it. Now, it's one thing to suffer setback and difficulty because you sinned and made a dumb choice. How many believe that suffering can hopefully diminish as we grow up in Jesus? Amen? So there's the self-inflicted suffering because of sinfulness and rebellion. And then there's suffering because life is tough. We live in a fallen world. There's a real enemy, etc. And whatever the suffering or sorrow is, here's the beauty of the gospel. I put it in your handouts. There's another in the fire with us. I mean, that's like one of the most famous songs Hillsong wrote. It's a beautiful song. There is another in the fire. Amen. There's another in the fire. Turn to your neighbor and say, in the trials, there's another in the fire with me. And here's what I love about Jesus. Here's why he's our living hope. Say living hope. Jesus was, a, was fully man like us. Amen. Don't have time to unpack. I'll read Hebrews chapter 2, Colossians 1. You get it. So Jesus identifies, say identifies with us. And how many think that's a good thing? That the God that we've sworn allegiance to, Jesus Christ, he understands and identifies with what we go through. Amen. It, go, it gets better. Oh, oh, I'm going to get there. Okay, hold on. Save that. I'm going to save that. I'm working off two sets of notes here. Give me a break. And I, I, I took pain meds last night. Get over it. Yeah. Though you have not seen him, you love him and are filled. You, be, you do not see him now. You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, I've already quoted all of that. The prophets, the prophets were like, what, what is this thing the Holy Spirit's doing in us? We see this servant. We see the suffering. We see this, this figure that's going to come, Israel's Messiah. And they didn't quite figure out when all of those promises would be fulfilled. But Peter said, it's all been fulfilled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the preaching of the gospel. So let's land the plane here, and I'll hit all of the points I just skipped, I promise. So because of what this, this first 12 verses, this is what I hope you chew on and share with others around you this week. Because of the great salvation, because of what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have done, number one, no matter what we face, whether it's literal exile or spiritual exile and ostracization. We are not homeless because we have a father. Amen. So let's throw that slide up there, J-Bone. We're going to go through these last few slides and call it a day. We are, read that with me. We are not homeless. God is our father. We've been chosen. We've been shown mercy. And through Christ, we've been given new birth. God is our father and the church is our spiritual family. So no matter what happens in our day, because of the gospel, because of what God has done, we've been chosen, we've been shown mercy, 
And we've been given new birth, new life, because our Father is a cheerful giver. Amen. We are not homeless. No matter how, listen, it's disorienting. How many would say it's disorienting right now in our culture? It's like, the Bible calls it like being blown and tossed by the waves for those who are not solid in the gospel. But I want you to know, as, as, as disorienting as it is, and it is, we are not homeless. We have a home in the Father's love. And that's not a cutesy answer. That's our lifeline. That is the truth of God's word. God is our Father. As, 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 as much adversity as we may have to face in the days because of the, the, the historic claims of Christianity, whatever we face, there's one who will stand with us. There's one who will not abandon. Listen, Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was forsaken. Jesus, was, Jesus, was, Jesus took our place in suffering and sin so that all of those things that press us from the outside, we could experience one who's with us in and through every trial. We're not homeless. Number two, almost done. We are not hopeless. Say that with me. We are not hopeless. Jesus Christ is our living hope. His blood cleanses us from our sin. His resurrection means we have an eternal inheritance. He identifies, empathizes, and energizes us in the midst of the fight of faith. And he will come again to complete what he started. I thought that was a better point. Thank you, Karen. We have a living hope. We're not hopeless. However dark it feels or however much uh, just uncertainty in, in our culture, in our moment, we are never hopeless because Jesus Christ is alive. There is a, I, I, every time I go on a five, five days a week at least, seven days walking, took a couple days off yesterday and the day before, but I almost start every single prayer time. This is just my own thing. I'm weird. Father, thank you that there's a man at your right hand. Almost every prayer, seven days a week, all throughout the day, there's a man, there is a living hope, there's a person in heaven who has resurrected skin on who will come to finish what he started. Not to bear sin, but to bring the fullness of salvation, to overthrow all the principalities and powers. Every kingdom of darkness will bow and bend its knee and confess Christ alone is Lord. So I almost every prayer time, I'm like, God, thank you that there's a man. There's a man at your right hand. He's a living hope. We're never hopeless. However dark it gets, say it. We're never hopeless. Never hopeless because of what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And man, I love this last one. We are not helpless. What was this Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit that sanctified. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit who convicts of sin, converts from death to life, and brings communion with God and enables us to have power and hooks us up to the resources necessary to walk obediently with Jesus Christ. Say it, say it with me. We are not helpless. Whatever exile, whatever form of suffering or trial, I'm not belittling those. They are legit and they're probably going to increase, but we're never homeless, we're never hopeless, and we're never helpless because of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a good teaching right there. It's just first 12 verses. I'm happy. So why are there so many trials? Because we live in a fallen world. A fallen world that's trying to build its own kingdom without reference and submission to the king. Right? But we submit to the king. We've sworn allegiance to Jesus. He is the, he is the one who holds the center of our attention 
He's the center of our affection. He is the king that we bow before as Lord of heaven and earth. Why so many trials? Because there's a real, but I put a key word here. There's a defeated enemy, but he's a real enemy. Why so many trials? Because of the flesh, old habits or mindsets or sins and struggles. That Peter's going to talk about it several times throughout his letter. But how many believe there is victory over the flesh called life in the Holy Spirit? Why so many trials? Because, listen, folks, I'm sorry. It's been true for 2,000 years. There's always going to be a cost and a stigma when it comes to the gospel. When someone will say, I am the way and the truth and the life, it will always have an edge to it. As good of news as it is, God has forgiven us through his son. He lived the life we could never live, died the death that we deserve to give us a life that we could never earn. It's good news, but to some who choose to stay in their sin, it's the aroma of death, not the aroma of life. And it'll always be that way, folks. Amen. So I'd rather be told this than be taken off guard by it. But what else is there? You tell me news that's better than the good news of the gospel, and I'll listen. This news has been tried and tested. And the saints of old would say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He's worthy of all of it. No matter the price, no matter the cost, no matter how steep the incline, no matter how hot the fire We're never homeless, we're never hopeless, and we're never helpless because we have a Father who has a Son who has a Holy Spirit. This is how Peter anchors the letter. (laughs) Verse 12 verses. You and I, by the gospel, by faith in Jesus, are experiencing things that all of the prophets, even the angels in heaven, are like, no way, not fair. (laughs) It's not fair that they get to experience the good news of the gospel. I know they're exile. I know they're suffering. I know, we're going to get there. I know it's complex how to operate in a culture that's jacked up, but the angels are looking over heaven going, oh, look, it's so cool. It's so cool that they get to experience the new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how will we overcome? Last slide, through faith. Faith is way more, come on somebody, it's way more than mental assent to a body of doctrine or theories. Faith is loyalty and wholehearted trust in a person. That he who started the work will carry it on to completion, Philippians 1.6. So faith that saves, when we put our trust in Jesus, we experience new birth. Faith that sanctifies, that's refined in the fire, that purifies our faith and our flesh. And the faith ultimately that sustains all the way to the end when we see the face of him we spent our lives pursuing. (laughs) Faith. Faith. So my question, have you experienced that new birth? I mean, if I had to say, I mean, all of it's good teaching. It's so solid, biblically, orthodox, historic teaching. But if you, listen, None of the letter will make sense if you've not experienced that living hope, new birth reality, period. Not pulling a fast one on you, but there is grace here to save and to take your dead, sin-laden heart and to give you a brand new life, a brand new life. Anyone like that today who'd say, Chatty, I want to be born again. I want new birth. Could you just raise your hand or stand if you feel confident? I just want to give an opportunity for that before we move on. 
Anybody today would say, Chatty, new birth, I'll take it. Amen. Anybody else? It's awesome. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for seeing these hands. Thank you for the invitation for new birth, to put our trust and our heart, to give our sin, to give our life to the king of the everlasting kingdom. Father, your word says when we trust in Jesus as Lord, we are rescued from the dominion, the domain of the kingdom of darkness, and we're made citizens of your kingdom, the kingdom of light, the king of which is the son who reigns in righteousness. So, Father, I thank you for those online and in this room for the glory of new birth. Thank you, Father. The Holy Spirit's the one who produces faith in us to reach out and then to receive the good news of the gospel. And then maybe today as we close, ma'am, you're in the fight, but today you're like, dude, I need to grow in my praise. I need to grow that when I'm facing the grinder, that when I'm going through the trial, instead of grumbling, complaining, I want to grow in my ability to look through it and to look up at the one who God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have provided such a glorious dynamic reality for me to if that's you could you stand you say chatty I want to grow in praise today like the apostle Peter I want to be able to face trials and adversity not with the grimace and a growl but with joy in my heart the inexpressible and glorious joy and I love this man I skipped it I mean they're really important verses eight and nine though you have not seen him you love him friends the only way we're going to make it is by just loving the one that we don't see (laughs) But I want you to know the unseeable God currently is experienced through the ministry of his body, the church. Amen? So he becomes visible as we participate in his body, his church. This is all 1 John chapter 4. Go read it. Though you've not seen him, you love him. How many would say, Chatty, as we start 1 Peter, I want my first love to grow. I want it to be set on fire. Stand on your feet with me. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. Maybe you've been in a season of weariness or unbelief, and you say, I want my faith to be set on fire today. Holy Spirit, I thank you today. I thank you for the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Would you just move through our church in a profound way? Thank you for the new birth. Thank you for the living hope. Thank you right now for the faith that's refined in the fire. Thank you, Lord, that though we've not seen you, we love you. We give ourselves to the great commandment to love you with everything and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Father, I pray right now that you would put praise in our hearts. As difficult as the hour is, we would be a people of praise, like the Apostle Peter. Nine verses of a run-on sentence. God, I pray you would put praise in our hearts, that it would be infectious to those around us. Why the joy? Why the hope? Why the peace? Why the love? Why the, why the, why the? Because there's a king. Because there's a Lord. He's alive. He's the soon-coming king of all creation. God, I pray you'd put praise in our hearts. Send us from this place with great hope and expectation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you guys. He's alive. He is our hope. Tell somebody you love him. Invite somebody next week. It's just going to keep getting better.